Funding for Smart Talk is provided by Capital Blue Cross. For 80 years, Capital Blue Cross has offered products that provide peace of mind and promote good health. Focused on creating a healthier future for our communities through innovations like its Capital Blue Health and Wellness Centers that provide in-person service and inspire healthy living. Capital Blue Cross is behind you for whatever lies ahead. More information is at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross. Live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle. Its 11 principal investigators and 12 nurse coordinators conduct research efforts to advance cardiovascular medicine. Information at upmcpinnacle.com slash myheart. Welcome to Smart Talk. I'm Scott Lamar. Thanksgiving is tomorrow, and there will be more cars on the highway over the next five days than any other time of year. AAA estimates almost 51 million will travel at least 50 miles from home this weekend, and 89% of them will be driving. Just a little more information. The weather is supposed to be seasonal or nice, at least in this part of the state, and gas cost 40 cents more per gallon than last Thanksgiving. But that's not stopping people from heading out on the roads for the holiday Black Friday or deer season. We like to do this from time to time on Smart Talk, where we have uh, Corporal Adam Reed, the public information officer for the Pennsylvania State Police, in the studio to answer your questions about driving, since there will be so many people on the road over the next uh, few days. Corporal Reed, thanks for being with us again. Hey, good morning. Thanks for having me again. If you have a question or a comment about driving, Pennsylvania State driving laws, roads on the highway, rules of the highway, give us a call, one 800 729 Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or a comment on WITF's Facebook page on Twitter. We are at smarttalkwitf. You know, I mention uh, comments because, as you well know from the times you've done this show before, that uh, we have any number of drivers out there who... (laughs) like to talk about what they've seen with other drivers. It's a favorite pastime of us. Absolutely. Yeah, this is always a popular topic. I'm always amazed at the quality of the calls and the number of calls that come in once I do the show. Well, we have open lines right now, so if you'd like to give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. And I think it's also very valuable to stress that uh, because there will be so many cars on the roads this weekend, uh, people will be in a hurry. And there will be, uh, you know, people that may not get to their destinations as quickly as they like. But something else to to mention, tonight is supposedly the biggest night of the year for DUIs, that there are more people on the road after drinking than even New Year's Eve. Is, has that been the experience of the Pennsylvania State Police? The day before Thanksgiving is traditionally a very popular night for people to go out and indulge and party a little bit. They have family in town. They have tomorrow off, so they're ready to to let loose. That means law enforcement's going to be out and about, and we're going to be on the lookout for those impaired drivers. Mm-hmm. Will there be uh, DUI checkpoints throughout the state? There will be, yes. We're going to have increased patrols from now through the end of the weekend, as well as DUI checkpoints throughout the state. Do you, you meaning the Pennsylvania State Police, do you actually have extra patrols, uh, people working overtime during this weekend because there are so many more people on the roads? Yeah, sure. We do have increased patrols out there. There's some overtime. There's some grant money and things of that nature to prevent impaired drivers and and really keep the roads safe. Mm. Uh, Are there places that are more dangerous than others this weekend? You're going to see a high volume of crashes anywhere where there's going to be higher volumes of traffic. Which makes sense. So a lot of the busier interstates running through Pennsylvania are going to see an increased traffic volume. So that naturally leads to more crashes. Over this, uh, and really, I guess you could say it's a five-day weekend because yesterday, uh, from what I understand, has a high volume from like 3 to 8 p.m. yesterday. Is there one day in particular where you see more drivers, more crashes, more citations written? It's really today. Today's oh, the, it is today? Today's the, the busiest travel day that we see. The turnpike is expecting almost record number of vehicles, as well as the major interstates throughout Pennsylvania. So I would say today is the busiest day. What are most citations written for during this weekend? The most common violation we would see would be 
those related to aggressive driving. That includes speeding, tailgating, and improper passing. So that's what our troopers are going to be on the lookout for. Mm-hmm. Is, is that really any different than any other time of year? Or is it just because there are more people on the road, more a bigger volume, that there are more citations? Yeah, it's it's probably due to a, a, the bigger volume of traffic out on the roads. But you know, naturally, too, when the traffic volume is thicker and there are more cars on the road, the opportunity might not be there as much to really let loose on the open roadway. So you do see a lot more following too closely, improper passing, and things of that nature. And I see we're starting to get some calls, uh, but we still have some open lines. If you'd like to give us a ring, 1-800-729-7532 is the number to call. You know, I I know that it's, you know, research has shown that most crashes are caused by high speed, that excessive speed, speeding. Um, but there's been a real emphasis on aggressive driving recently, hasn't there been? Right, absolutely. And speeding and aggressive driving, they go hand in hand, really. If, if you speed a lot, you tend to tailgate. You tend to pass on the right unsafely. So that does lead to a higher risk of being involved in a crash. All right. So let's uh, kind of segue into some of the questions that I know many of our listeners have. You just mentioned passing on the right. When is it permissible to pass on the right? You can pass on the right. No, okay. Maybe we should. Maybe maybe we should. The key is the key is to do it safely. That's that's the big thing. We certainly don't encourage people to do it. We don't want people to do it. But the key is, if you have to do it in some kind of unusual circumstance, please do it safely. Now, are you talking about uh, like a double lane highway, or are you talking about like someone stopped to make a left hand turn and uh, someone passes on the right on the shoulder? Really, both. You're allowed to pass on the shoulder if someone's making a left turn in front of you. Same with a, a two lane highway going in the same direction. If by some reason there's a slow vehicle, perhaps a, a tractor trailer or something of that nature in the left lane, you can pass on the right. Use common sense and do it safely. And you know the thing is, I know you've seen this because we all have, that when someone does actually pass on the right, you can tell that they're a little bit hesitant about it Mm -hmm. because that's not what we're supposed to do. Right. I mean, legally we can, but we're supposed to, you know, the slower traffic to the right. Yes. In fact, we have a law now that says slower traffic to the right. But from we have a lot of people who don't obey that law, and from time to time, you can just tell by the hesitation that many vehicles have that it's like, okay, should I do this or shouldn't I do it? Right. It could be very dangerous. Oftentimes, we'll see crashes happen that way, where somebody passes on the right, and as they're passing, the vehicle in the left lane puts their turn signal on and gets over into the right lane to get out of the way, and there's the car right in their path. So we do see crashes like that. You uh, mentioned that it is permissible to uh, pass on the right on the shoulder if there was a car stopped in front of you. And But uh, how far? What if there isn't a shoulder? What if there isn't a, a wide shoulder? I mean, going in someone's grass is probably uh, not permissible. Right. That's illegal. The law states that you have to stay on the paved portion of the road. So if the shoulder is there and it's wide enough for you to pass safely, you can. However, you can't drive into gravel or someone's lawn. Are there people cited for that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's another example. It's a cause of a, numerous crashes that we see all the time, especially at like a busy four-way intersection where somebody's trying to pass on the right, somebody stopped to make a left turn through the intersection. It can create some confusion and chaos. And again, the key is to do it safely. And I'm going to bring this up before we do get to the phones because, and I know I've I've talked to you about this before, but I think it's worth repeating. And not everyone has heard this program, but four-way stop sign, another place where I often see confusion that, in fact, I saw it just last night. There was, uh, you know, every, it's, it's kind of based on timing, who gets there first and who has the right of way. But there are so many times where I'll see someone who is making a left-hand turn, or you know, making a turn, but they arrived to that four-way before someone else. But the other driver coming the opposite, or I should say the, the direction that crosses the road, uh, pulls out there because they think they have the, the right-of-way because this person's making a turn. Right. Yeah, you have to use good judgment at four-way stops. Everybody's in a hurry. Everyone wants to, to be the first one through the intersection. But do your best to recognize who the first vehicle was to get there. And if you all seemingly get there at the same time, we recommend deferring to the vehicle on your right to go first. But if you all get there at the same time, right. how do you know uh, who got there first? It's important to make eye contact with other drivers. Then? Yes. At that time, you know, maybe 
the wave somebody forward with their hands and and hopefully everyone comes to a mutual understanding there yeah and yeah be a be a polite driver that's and, right uh, you know something like that and and if someone waves you through give them the wave back that's thank right thank you wave you know be courteous <laughs> that's right all right let's take some phone calls megan is in carlisle megan you're on the air Good morning. Thank Good morning. you so much for taking my call. Yes, um, I have a question, perhaps not related to aggressive drivers, but at the opposite end of the spectrum, drivers who are very timid. Um, I'm speaking in particular of my own mother, who's going to be driving up from Maryland, coming up 83 today. Um, you know, her driving skills have deteriorated uh, over time. Uh, she's not willing to recognize that. She's not going to be one to take a driver's re-education course. Um, and I'm just wondering, as a concerned family member, what can I do? Because I'm concerned about her safety, but I'm also concerned about others on the road. I'm worried about uh, somebody coming behind her, you know, ramming her from behind, causing some aggressive driving, um, you know, in the vicinity. Right. Yeah. You know, driving on some of these interstates around here can be a daunting task, minus all the holiday traffic. So I, I can understand your concerns there, certainly. It's important that you have a conversation with her. And if things really get to the extreme end where you're very concerned about her driving. It's something that you could speak to perhaps her doctor or PennDOT about. I mean, have you had that conversation with her, Megan? We have had that conversation. Worried about, Mom, I think this car is too big. It's a, it's a little powerful for you. Let's find something a little bit smaller. I offered to drive down to Maryland to pick her up today. She had a neighbor who offered to bring her up, and she just bristles at that fact. I think she looks at it as a loss of independence, and she feels she is she is fine. So I'm not sure, you know, like I said, having further conversations, if that will get us anywhere, or, you know, again, do I have to have a conversation with somebody else who steps in as an intermediary? How, how or maybe before I ask how big the car is, what kind of car does she have? Um, she has a newer Honda Accord. Uh, it has a, a V8 engine, but oh. my mom is about five foot nothing, and you know, the, just the classic older lady behind the wheel, where she's pulled up all the way against the steering wheel, peering over the, the rim of it. Um, so, you know, it's just an unsafe situation for a number of factors. Yeah, well, that V8 in the Honda, that, that, that exactly. does have a little bit of power behind it. <laughs> all right, thank you very much for your call. But this is something, uh, Corporal, that so many families have to deal with from time to time. Uh, you know, I, I know from time to time we have people who call and complain about older drivers, and a lot of times older drivers will drive more slowly. Uh, yes, they don't aren't as aggressive, but that seems to bother people when, I don't know, they're not quite as attentive or maybe not driving as fast. What are the rules? I mean, there are, you know, there have been people over the years who have said, well, I think that uh, people should reach a certain age and have to take their driver's test again. What are the rules here in Pennsylvania? Yeah, well, there, there are no, there's no sort of retesting in place right now. And it's great that she recognizes that concern about the, her mother there, because some people don't. And it's a good conversation to have with those family members, and certainly it's going to be a touchy subject because, just like she said, some people might view that as taking away their independence. But it's good as family that you recognize when it's time to have that conversation. Mm. I'll just tell a, a personal story. Um, my mother has been uh, you know, diagnosed with dementia, and when we as a family first started uh, seeing um, you know, concrete signs is her driving. Yes. That uh, actually she was in a, in a crash where a, there was a car in front of her, light turned green, and the car didn't move quick enough, so she rammed it in the back. And I said, Mom, you don't knock cars out of the way. She said, well, the light turned green. I said, well, okay, we, we have to do something. Sure. And fortunately, no one was hurt. But uh, those are the kind of lessons that, that you do learn. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Smart Talk is supported by Capital Blue Cross, providing health care coverage accepted by doctors and specialists in all 50 states. More information is available at capbluecross.com. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by UPMC Pinnacle, committed to reducing hospital-acquired infections and readmission rates. More information on UPMC Pinnacle's achievements in patient safety can be found at upmcpinnacle.com quality. 
Welcome back to Smart Talk. Our guest during this portion of the program is Corporal Adam Reed, Public Information Officer for the Pennsylvania State Police. And as we uh, are in the midst of the most heavily traveled weekend of the year, we're talking about Pennsylvania driving laws, just a whole lot about uh, driving, uh, the highways, rules of the road, that kind of thing. If you have a question or comment, give us a call, 1-800-729-7532. Send an email to smarttalk at witf.org. You can leave a question or comment on WITF's Facebook page on Twitter. We are at Smart Talk WITF. Let's go to Tim in Carlisle. Tim, you're on the air. Hi, thank you for having me on. And you're on the uh, road, too. I did not grow up in Pennsylvania, but I've lived here for about four or five years now. And a big habit I've noticed of drivers in this area is a habit of not getting enough speed coming down an on-ramp onto a highway failing to look over their shoulders to find a spot to merge into traffic and coming to a dead stop at the end of an on-ramp. I didn't know if there was a particular reason for this phenomenon in Pennsylvania, if there are certain laws governing right-of-way in Pennsylvania that make drivers do that, or if this is just a quirk of the area. Very good question. Thank you very much for your call. Yeah, absolutely. So he mentioned he's from Carlisle. So I worked... And in patrol down at the the PSP Carlisle station. So worked a lot on 81 specifically. Uh, We would see a lot of crashes, particularly on the Hanover Street, exit 47 there, on and off ramp to to 81. People doing just that. It's not illegal per se, but the recommendation is certainly pick your spot and gain enough steam, gain enough speed so you could seamlessly merge into traffic. We do see a lot of crashes that result from people stopping at the very end of the ramp and then inching out into traffic as soon as there's a space. Certainly that's not going to be the safest bet when traffic's moving. Crashes it. from someone getting hit in the back on the on the ramp? Yes, yeah, pulling mm-hmm. in front of traffic just for that reason that he mentioned. So certainly when traffic is moving at, at 60, 65 miles an hour and you're, you're inching out into traffic there, that's going to cause some problems. The law in Pennsylvania states that it is the responsibility of the driver merging onto the interstate to do that safely. So theoretically, if a car is already on the interstate in the lane of travel and a car is merging, and they're going to get to that merge point at the exact same time, many people think it's law for the car already in the lane to move over, but it's not. It's the responsibility of the merging driver to make that merge safely. And they would be considered at fault in the event of a crash there. Yeah, just what you said about the, the it, it is not law to move over. Again, that's a courtesy. Right. If there is not another vehicle in the left lane, the passing lane, yeah, it's nice to move over. But if someone doesn't or they can't, um, usually there's a little bit of space on that ramp that you can slow down and find a place to merge. But I have seen the same thing that, that he's talking about, people stopping at the end of the ramp. And, again, it's one of those awkward situations where everyone kind of likes, okay, well, this, this doesn't normally happen. What do we do here? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also have seen crashes with that. So right. that's I don't know whether he's right when he says that's a quirk of Pennsylvania or not, but uh, hopefully that's a quirk we get rid of. <laughs> uh, let's see. We have Greg in Boiling Springs. Greg, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, you're welcome. Um, two things, two things I wanted to address this morning. Uh, first being fatigue and everybody just being aware of what they need to do to, to stay alert as driving. Oh. And the second, also being reminding everybody that although tractor trailers appear to be up, there are real live people driving them. And to just be aware as you maneuver around those. All right. Thank you very much for your call. And I kind of cut Greg short because we don't have a good line with him there. But fatigue and thinking about uh, the drivers who are in those tractor trailers. Let's talk about fatigue, first of all. I know there are a lot of businesses and organizations this weekend, and they do it a lot of holiday weekends, offering uh, free coffee uh, to, to drivers out on the road. And... Let's face it. You have the big meal, turkey, and all of that. Uh, you that you know there may be some people out there who are driving while they're a little more tired than what they normally would be. Is there any way to measure that? No, that's a hard one. That's where you might have to have a co-pilot there. Mm-hmm. So maybe your significant other. You take turns behind the wheel there, and certainly if, if it takes a cup of coffee or two for you to stay awake behind the wheel, 
do so. It's, it would seem to be one of those things that you kind of have to self-regulate, unfortunately. But it also would be one that if you have any question in your mind whether you're too tired to drive, you probably should err on the side of caution. Right. When you start to question if you're too tired to drive, that probably means you are. So just like you said, err on that side of caution and, and do the safe thing. Yeah. Uh, turning the radio up, uh, rolling the windows down, rolling the windows down. How about putting the windows down? Uh, probably not the best way to stay awake. Right. You know, it's going to be one of those things if you need a little bit of caffeine, whatever really it's going to take. You probably have people making a, a long drive to see family. You have your kids in the car with you. So there are a lot of distractions as well. So it's important to minimize those distractions and drive safe behind the wheel. Speaking of distractions, uh, has there been more emphasis by the Pennsylvania State Police on uh, uh, citing or looking for distracted drivers? Yes. Uh, specifically, our texting and driving citation numbers have gone up since the law was enacted in 2012. So our troopers are on the lookout for that, as well as local law enforcement is. But specifically, we are looking for those texting and driving. Certainly when you add in the high volume of traffic and the fact that somebody may be texting and driving, it's really going to increase your risk to be involved in a crash. You mentioned that when you were on highway uh, patrol, do you recognize when you were on the roads yourself as a trooper every day when someone is driving distracted? Yeah, you could really tell. They might not think they are, but you could tell. They drive erratically, so that might mean that they're slowing and then speeding up, maybe crossing that white line. It almost, in many ways, it mirrors an impaired driver, somebody that's driving behind uh, impaired on alcohol or some sort of drugs. The, the things that you look for with those drivers are, are going to be similar in many cases. Have you ever pulled anyone over who has drifted into the other lane? Oh, yes, absolutely. That wasn't drunk? Yes, yes. I've I've heard it all. I've heard a lot of excuses. Like what? I, and some might be legitimate. You know, maybe they were tending to a child in the back or... There was a bee in the car. A bee, hey, bee in the car. Um, maybe they were trying to, to read something, to look at directions as they were driving. So, yeah, I've, not, I've not seen good a lot. Excuse, not good excuses. No, though. no, it doesn't make it right. Yeah. And again, that is one of my pet peeves, too, when I'll be in my lane and I'll see someone drifting over into mine. And, you know, of course, I have to you see... Say that I use a few few expletives to say, "Hey, get over in your own lane." Right. So, all right, let's go to uh, Henry in Richland. Henry, you're on the air. Yes. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. All right. The question I'd like to ask is, you know, I, I think it's something we've all all done before: is speed on the highway. <laughs> uh, I'd like to know. Say you're in a group of cars, all doing, let's say, ten above. What's the deciding factor on who gets pulled over? I've always wondered about that myself. That's a good question. And to be honest with you, it doesn't really happen as much as people might think. It's really going to be the discretion then of the, the trooper that is making that traffic stop. It might be the last vehicle. It might be the first vehicle that was more or less leading the charge there. But it's really going to be the trooper's discretion. There's no um, hard and fast method to determine that. Uh, second part of that, um, say the person in the lead of the charge... Uh, couldn't they say they're being tailgated against, or that's no, that's that's their problem, I guess. Yeah, you know, my recommendation is if you're if you're being tailgated, you maybe move over into the other lane, let that car pass you, and let okay. them get that citation. All right, gentlemen, thank you for All your right, time. Thank you. thank you. You know, I but I will. You know, I think one of the things he was getting at that sometimes it feels like that's not possible. That if you be, are being tailgated. That um, you know, unless you actually make the move to pull over on the shoulder and let the guy go by, that you kind of have to speed up so that you cannot get an opportunity to let them pass you or something. You know, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, sure. Pa speed up or slow down. Right. Not. I've been that trooper. I've, I've seen that happen, and I've stopped the car that was doing the tailgating because they're wanting to go faster than what traffic was going. So. I've stopped that car and given them the citation. Mm. Let's go to Pat in Harrisburg. Pat, you're on the air. Hi, this is Pam in Harrisburg. Oh, Pam, uh, okay, first sorry. Off, Scott, happy Thanksgiving. Oh, happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Um, my pet thing, on the new rotaries, please, please, please signal your intention when you're getting off uh, out of the rotary. It's a uh, courtesy and it will help a lot. And also, please remind parents and people for riding bicycles, you ride with traffic, not against it. 
Thank you very much for the tips. And, and you know, that's something, uh, Corporal, that we are seeing more and more people that are riding their bicycles, which is a good thing. But how much is a bicycle considered just like a vehicle on the road? She made two really good points there. First with the roundabout and then with the bicycles, two really good reminders. It's important people... It's important that people remember, if you're riding a bicycle, you really have to follow the same rules of the road as if you were driving a car. That means driving with traffic, stopping at stop signs, stopping at red lights, and taking all the same precautions as you would if you were driving a vehicle. So, you know, no pun intended, it's a two-way street between the people driving the automobile and the people operating the bicycle. Signals, I think, is one of the things that uh, Pam really wanted to emphasize there. Yep. Um, not a lot of bikes have uh, have turn signals on them, uh, so it's up to the rider of that bike to somehow signal that they're going to change lanes or uh, or make a turn. Yeah, sure. You could use arm movements. According to the law, you're supposed to. You have no turn signal implementation in place there. Uh, she also mentioned the, the roundabouts. Using right. your signal in the right. roundabouts. You're seeing more and more roundabouts put in place in lieu of four-way intersections with red lights. And um, they're practical, but at the same time, you do have to use caution when you're driving around them, especially if you don't have much experience using a roundabout. But like she said, it's important to, to use your signal to really signal your intention of where you're going to get out of that roundabout at. It seems as though Pennsylvanians are becoming more used to roundabouts, uh, and they're not quite as cautious or maybe put it awkward, maybe is the word I could, because when they first came on the scene, uh, especially here in central Pennsylvania, you kind of got the sense that there were a lot of people who didn't know how to drive them. Now that there are more of them, uh, it seems as though people know what they're doing. And the research has shown that uh, there are fewer accidents when there's a roundabout than if it's a four-way stop sign, for example, right? Yeah, right. You know, traffic's going at a slower speed. At the same time, you do have to use some caution when you're deciding when to merge on into the roundabout there. So, yes, there are a reduced number of crashes with the roundabouts. Let's take a call from Dave and Duncannon. Dave, you're on the air. Yes, uh, I'm, I guess, a professional driver of sorts, retired. I used to be a building inspector. and I've driven hundreds of miles a day, and I've experienced situations with aggressive drivers and people that are drunk and uh, other situations like that. But the worst situation I've run into, it really is cell phone drivers. There are so many of them out there paying little or no attention to the road. At least at least the speeders and the drivers that I've been around generally are at least attempting to pay attention to the road and watch their driving. And I know the trooper touched on that, the distracted driver on the, uh, being equivalent to uh DUIs uh, or impaired drivers. In fact, in Europe, they did studies and they found they were equivalent or worse than drunk drivers. And some of the European countries have banned all cell phone use in a car by the driver. And I think in this case, that should be the situation in this state as well, because they are a hazard, not just because of the fact that people are distracted, but the huge numbers of people that use them. Everybody uses them. You run into a drunk driver or an aggressive driver now and then, but these cell phone drivers are all around you, and they are very lax about their driving. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you very much for your call. And I think he's right. I mean, sure. I, I just from time to time in passing drivers on the street, count how many uh, the percentage of people who are on their cell phones as they're going by. And there are times where it's at least 50, 60 percent of the people driving by are, right. are on their cells. Yeah, absolutely. And I've had people tell me, well, it, it's not as unsafe because I have a wireless headset, I have Bluetooth. Well, studies have shown that you're still taking that focus off of driving. You're focusing on that conversation you're having, regardless of whether you're holding a phone in your hand or you're talking on some sort of a Bluetooth device. The bottom line is it's taking your attention off that task at hand, which is to get to your destination safely. Mm. And there are other distractions as well, food, right. uh, radio, all those things that right. uh, you know can, can add to distractions as well. But uh, you know, it always amazes me the people who think that they can multitask, do all these things <laughs> at the same time and still be a safe driver. Let's take a call from Jack in Lancaster. Jack, you're on the air. 
Hi, thank you very much for taking my call. I have a, two questions for the uh, corporal. One is, what is the difference between yield and merge when you're going onto a major highway? And right turn red lights when they turn green or when they stay red, and a right turn sign that says no turn on red. Can you turn on a red right turn light? Thank you. All right, thank you for your call. So you cannot turn on a red right turn light if the sign is in place prohibiting right turn on red. And you often see that at a lot of intersections where the visibility might not be the greatest, making that right turn not safe because you can't see oncoming traffic. However, if the if there's no sign there, you can. But certainly that's going to be your judgment to, to do that or not. If you could safely see oncoming traffic, again, that's that's going to be up to you if there's no sign in place. And let me also, can, before we go on to his yield merge question, which is a very good one, um, that even though you can mi- make a right on red, if the light is red, it still means you have to stop. Right, absolutely, yes. You have to treat it like a stop sign. You ha- So you have to stop and you have to use your judgment to determine that it's safe to proceed. Mm. All right, so let's get back to his other question. Uh, you know, Jack's other question about merge and yield difference. Really, there isn't isn't one, in my opinion. You're going to see the yield signs when you have to merge onto the interstate from an on-ramp. So there really isn't. You're going to see those yield signs kind of in the official capacity when you're merging onto an interstate. Mm. Uh, we have a, just a few minutes left, and we do have some open lines. If you'd like to give us a call, 1-800-729-7532, or send an email to smarttalk at org. We'll get to those uh, last few calls here in just a few minutes. Coming up in a few minutes, we'll be talking with the, the Pennsylvania Game Commission. So we said it's an unofficial holiday in Pennsylvania next Monday, the start of the antler deer season. Um, but, uh, you know, so we're going to be talking with the Game Commission about a few rule changes this year, chronic wasting disease, size of the herd, that kind of thing. Yesterday we talked about bears. A lot of people said, oh, I love that conversation about bears. I'm going to do the same thing today when we talk about deer. Uh, on Sunday, many hunters will head for deer camp on Sunday. Some of the areas of the state that may not have as much traffic, we'll have much, much more traffic. Even though we've talked about that as the state overall, does that present any kind of challenges in the northern tier of the state, for example? Yeah, sure, it certainly could. You're going to have towns there that are usually uh, kind of sleepy, kind of dormant, really park up with all that traffic from the hunters there. So, yeah, certainly the rural roads do present different challenges than the interstates do, but really the foundation of it's the same. You have to navigate the road safely and, and use common sense as you're doing it. What's the weather supposed to be like this week? And I said in my introduction that in this part of the state, uh, it's supposed to be seasonal, nice throughout. What about the rest of the state? Is that something that the state police look at uh, as you're preparing for a weekend like this? Yes, absolutely. We we use kind of the weather conditions to determine, uh, for example, to put snow tires on the cars and to how to really delegate our manpower because we know if it's going to be if the conditions aren't going to be ideal, if it's going to be snowy, which in many northern parts of the states it could turn the blink of an eye, it could turn to to snow to whiteout conditions very quickly. So that's something we are cognizant of. Well, okay, this is unusual that I ask uh, someone from the Pennsylvania State Police about the weather forecast, but I'll do that, <laughs> Corporal. Anyway, what, what's it look like a rest in the rest of the state this week? I, I actually didn't. I didn't have a chance to oh, look yet. For the, I'm I sorry. I know. <laughs> I have to check my Doppler. <laughs> well, I, it just seems other than the lake effect snow and in the Laurel Mountains on the Turnpike in particular, it seems as though it seems as though we have a lot of. Uh, as you said, snow that can pop up at at any minute. But I think this weekend is supposed to be relatively nice. Let's go to Jim and Edders. Jim, you're on the air. Hi, good morning. I have a question and a comment. I'd like to know how much enforcement is done of the people who get in the left lane and just ride there. I think that's the biggest impairment to uh, the traffic moving safely that we have. And my question or my comment is, I come up behind so many people driving in the rain without their headlights on, and they don't realize that that means that they're, they're driving with their, what they call them, the, the daylight driving lights. They don't realize that their back lights aren't on, and you can come up on them in the mist. You know, if they're white car, gray car, you don't see them until the last minute. And I believe it's a state law that you have to have your lights on if you have your wipers on. Thank right, you very right. much for your call. Yeah, two more good reminders there. 
certainly. It is state law. He's absolutely correct. You have to have your headlights on when your wipers are on. That makes it easier for other cars to see you, plain and simple. Just like he said, it's going to make it that much more difficult to come upon a car in inadvertent weather conditions and when they don't have their lights on and you don't see them. Same thing That's goes, a relatively new law, right? It is It is somewhat new in the grand scheme of things, but a lot of people don't know that it's not just rain. It's any time you have your wipers on. So that could mean uh, some fog. It could mean uh, light snow that's appearing there on your windshield, but it's important to remember that. Anytime you have your wipers on, turn your headlights on. Mm. Uh, his other question about the left lane, uh, again, a relatively new law. Right, right, and he's he's correct there as well. If you are not passing somebody in that left lane, you have to get over into the right lane, and we do issue citations for it. We, we issue citations for both uh, on numerous occasions. Let's go to Daniel in Shippensburg. Daniel, you were on the air. Uh, yeah, I had a... Uh question because this happens quite frequently um at a four-way stop uh there's an order that everyone's supposed to go to and it's, it's a little bit of a pet peeve of mine when people start waving other people through out of order is that actually illegal or and if someone waves you through and it's not your turn should you go or should you wait for them to go hey thank you very much for your call we kind of touched on this earlier but he is coming at it from a different point of view in that uh you know when we talked about being courteous and waving people through but what if you decide that okay you're waving me through but i it's just not right for me to go through here right right there's nothing illegal about that per se but certainly we recommend to defer to the person that got there first but certainly if you get there and somebody makes the decision for whatever reason that they would rather you go ahead of them it's perfectly fine to do so uh, we had a call from Laura on Quarryville, wanted to know if Pennsylvania passed a law for easing through stop signs. I think that's an easy answer, no. It sounds like uh, she's noticed a lot of that. Right, right. The thing about the stop sign law is no, it's not correct there. But even if that stop sign, we see this sometimes, if the stop sign sits back a little ways from the intersection, it doesn't mean you drive up right to the edge of the intersection and drive past the stop sign. The law states that you have to stop at the stop sign, even if it is a bit back, and kind of inch your way up until you get to that intersection and you're ready to make that turn. Mm. Corporal Adam Reed is the public information officer for the Pennsylvania State Police. Corporal, thank you very much for all your help today, and uh, hopefully we uh, uh, can make the highways a little bit safer this weekend. Absolutely. And have a happy Thanksgiving, too. Thanks for having me. Very happy Thanksgiving to you as well. You're listening to Smart Talk on WITF, your home for NPR News and all things regional. I'm Scott Lamar. Pennsylvania's antler deer season for rifle begins Monday. It's an unofficial holiday here in Pennsylvania. It's also a good time to explore a few issues related to the whitetail deer. Joining us is Travis Lau, Communications Director for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Travis, how are you today? Here, I'll get the right, uh, let me get, there you go. Travis, how are you today? I'm doing just fine. How are you doing, Scott? I'm doing well. All right, so uh, as I said, unofficial holiday. We will have a lot of people in the woods. In fact, I may ask you for some numbers here before we even get started uh, on talking about some of the issues, uh, Travis. Uh, How many licensed hunters do you expect to be in the woods uh, this Monday? Well, uh, generally, we believe it will be upwards of 500,000 and probably close to 550,000. You know, the the opening day still is a, a special day. It's still the the one day where uh, more of the buck harvest comes. Uh, about 25% of the buck harvest comes from that opening day of the firearms deer season. But that said, uh, you know, here in Pennsylvania now we have a much longer deer season. There are, there are opportunities to hunt deer uh, from mid-September in some parts of the state uh, through the end of January in, in some of those same parts of the state. Uh, our, our regular statewide archery season is six weeks. Uh, we're seeing more of the overall deer harvest come from that archery season as we see increasing number of sales and really a record number of bow hunters out there. 500,000 or 550,000, depending on what that number is, that's still down from years past, isn't it? Uh, cr- correct. Um, and, and some of that was a, was a function of us not updating our estimate in, in some years. And we had looked at that last year, given what we were seeing as far as the harvest trend coming from the archery season and, and knowing that we have greater participation in the archery season. Of course, when we're talking about hunting antler deer, uh, no, no matter... 
uh, how many antlerless permits you might have uh, to hunt in, in specific WMUs or specific, specific DMAP units, you get only one buck tag. Uh, and, and, of course, if you're successful in the archery season, you will not be a participant in the firearm season. WMU, Wildlife Management Unit. Uh, what, do you know why? I know you're doing research all the time. Why there are more hunters that are uh, bow and arrow hunting rather than, uh, than rifle? Well, it's an enjoyable time of the year to be out, uh, first and foremost, when you're talking about a statewide season that generally begins about the start of October. Uh, You get some mild weather within which to hunt. Uh, You also get an opportunity on the tail end to hunt uh, during sometimes the peak of the whitetail's breeding season. So it's a good opportunity to fill a buck tag because you have a lot of bucks that are out on the move. They're in search of does. Uh, they're, they're establishing dominance, uh, and, and they're, they're moving a lot more during hunting hours than they do at other parts of the season. What the firearm season, and particularly the opening day and, and the, the two Saturdays within that season, still have on the bow season, even though you're generally past the peak of that breeding season, uh, deer are more or less back to their normal movements. But because of that one-day participation or, or the higher participation over those three days that are most heavily hunted, uh, you have a lot of deer movement that's spurred by hunter activity. So there's always an opportunity at any hour during the day to, to fill a harvest tag because uh, the deer are going to be on the move so long as hunters are on the move. Question about that, uh, Travis. You know, I've I've heard many hunters over the years say that uh, uh, the deer will be on the move once they've been shot at. Is that accurate, or is it just because there are people in the woods? Well, I've heard a lot of that same logic, too. I think that that hunter movements probably has more to do with it than gunshots per se. Uh, But I think that that all of it does amount to, to pressure on deer, and that is what causes deer to maybe flee more quickly than they would, like, say, during the the beginning stages of the archery deer season, where I've always looked at that as, as a good time to fill a tag because uh, the deer haven't been educated through weeks of hunting and, and, and running into hunters. Do deer head for... Uh, the, the, you know, I've always, again, also heard from many hunters that they head for the high ground in mountainous, mountainous areas or head for areas where there are fewer people that, you know, thicker woods, that kind of thing, once yeah. that has occurred. That, that That's definitely going to be the case. I mean, uh, deer are synonymous with cover, and, you know, they'll use that cover uh, to bed during the daytime, but but once they're disturbed in that area, they are going to get up and move somewhere else. Now, uh, that's potentially going to be another area with good cover, but what I find in the firearms deer season when deer truly become pressured, they, they uh, find some kind of unusual places to seek sanctuary, uh, whether it be uh, very near uh, the backyard of a home or, uh, you know, sort of uh, by a lone tree on a creek bottom. Uh, basically, they will get to, a, to an area where they're not going to be disturbed, and, uh, and oftentimes, in my opinion, will stay there uh, until they are disturbed. Of course, uh, with, with the bulk of the hunting pressure coming on either the opening day or the first two Saturdays, not to say that folks aren't out hunting, surely they are, and, and, and hunters are filling harvest tags on every day in the firearms deer season. Uh, depending on where you are and depending on, on, on the drop-off in hunting pressure after the opening day, deer very quickly re- return to their normal routines. Travis, we know that uh, when deer are in the rut, breeding season, that uh, they will be all over the place, and there are many, many deer vehicle crashes during that time. During hunting season, does the same thing happen because deer are out of their routine, I mean, and they're running around? Will they run across roads? Or- yeah, I, I'm sure they will, and I'm sure that some uh, deer vehicle collisions will result from movements in the woods by hunters. And, and I think that, that to extend that further, I mean, certainly not all deer vehicle collisions are are related to the rut, but we do put out a special 
advisory to the public at that time because we know that deer are on the move more often and and crossing roads more frequently because of that but but yeah any any movements inside the whitetails habitat whether they be hunting related hiking related or what have you are going to move deer and and when deer spook there's really no telling where they're going to be and and of course here in central pennsylvania where we have uh, a lot of deer and a lot of roads and a lot of development you know sometimes the choices are limited to uh, between point A and point B as far as a fleeing deer to its next uh, place where it's going to seek sanctuary. And we just finished a segment on uh, highway safety this weekend, uh, you know, with so many people out on the road. Uh, So, you know, just add that part to it as well, that uh, there will be, uh, you know, deer running around. There will be many more hunters out there. So at the at the same time, uh, you know, be aware that there could be deer on the road as, as well and to be looking for them as well. Travis, deer population, what it's, what's it estimated uh, for, from uh, uh, for Pennsylvania right now? Well, we don't compile a statewide estimate. What we do is we estimate the population following the deer season. So the most the most recent number we would have would be following last deer season, about a year ago. And we compile that number at a local level by wildlife management unit. And that, that's done uh, as part of our process in in keeping tabs on the harvest within the WMU with the population within the WMU so that when we set the allocation for antlerless licenses in the following year, we have a, a number and we have a, a uh, growth trend to base that allocation on. But uh, when, when you look at all the WMUs, uh, we have a, a stable deer population in most of them. Uh, we have an increasing deer population in, in a handful, I believe, five of them. Uh, so stable or increasing populations in all WMUs, but for the most part, stable populations. And again, WMU is a wildlife management unit. It used to be on a county-by-county basis. Let me guess, the southeastern part of the state uh, where the population is growing. Well, I had just pulled the report, and it seemed like it was a bit spread out. And I don't know... I don't know that the southeastern part of the state isn't where the stable population is or isn't among those WMUs where the stable population is. Yes, there are a number of deer down there. Yes, they um, oftentimes seem to me to have uh, a, a greater frequency of deer vehicle collisions when we get to that busy time of the year. Uh, of course, it's a challenge to manage deer in an area where there are, there is so much human development. There are so many people living, uh, working. And, uh, and relatively few hunting opportunities when compared to a large portion of the state where uh, you can pretty much leave your backyard on foot and find a good hunting spot. Evelyn is in Perry County. Evelyn, you're on the air. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question. Living here in Perry County, and uh, I have a lot of deer in my pastures, and one evening I was sitting on my patio enjoying a book, and just enjoying a beautiful fall night, and I heard uh, a whistle go right past me, and I had heard somebody up on the mountain behind me shooting, and it, it stunned me, and I realized it was a bullet that went past me. What is the distance a hunter must be from an occupied home to be able to discharge his rifle. And I, there's a lot of hunters around me, and I have woods here. Um, I have my land posted no hunting because I do have livestock, and I don't want them getting shot. Um, but this is something that really bothers me oh, at this time of year. I, Evelyn, I can understand that. That's a scary situation. Thank you very much for your call. Travis, what about that? Well, uh, certainly with Evelyn, in, in her case, if she has her land posted, she has a buffer that's probably bigger than what the law requires in terms of other hunters, uh, because certainly it's, it's uh, unlawful under all cir- circumstances to trespass while hunting. Uh, hunters need to have permission to be where they're hunting, and they need to know where they are enough to know that they have permission. But uh, to answer her question, the magic number there is 150 yards. Hunters must be within or, or at least 150 yards 
from an occupied structure. And there are a list of other um, of other features. Uh, school playgrounds are one of them. Uh, you know where where I live and hunt. There's a uh, rail trail that also defines a, a safety zone, and that's what we're talking about here. But 150 yards from an occupied structure, unless they have permission to hunt closer. In other words, if uh, if you have uh, if you have a hunting opportunity literally on your back porch, and you're the only home around, and you're not within 150 yards of of any other homes, uh, you have permission through yourself to hunt there. Hmm. Now, now there is a different set of rules when when talking about hunters using archery equipment, either uh, crossbows or or bows. The safety zone in that case is 50 yards from an occupied structure without permission, uh, but 150 is, is the standard for all firearms hunting. And then it also in Evelyn's case, uh, it, it's not only unlawful to hunt within that 150-yard buffer, it's, it's unlawful to uh, shoot into the safety zone of another or uh, chase game within that safety zone. Travis, when we have about a minute or so left, one thing I did want to get an update on is chronic wasting disease. This is a real concern here in Pennsylvania. Yes, we've seen the number of cases snowball, and it hasn't stopped. Uh, and I, I honestly couldn't tell you sitting here how many new cases that we've encountered this year, and most of them are from road kills that we pick up within Disease Management Area 2, which centers on Bedford County, but it's now quite large and extends all the way eastward into Adams County. But it, it is a, a growing concern in that we have a growing number of cases, one, and then also we detected CWD in the wild uh, in a free-ranging deer in a new area of the state uh, in Clearfield County this year. So uh, we're really doing our best this year to ramp up the number of harvested deer that we sample for CWD. We're offering free tests for deer that are harvested within the DMA. We've set up 26 drop boxes uh, that are similar to clothing donation bins on game lands. There's maps on our website. Hunters can drop the heads of their harvested deer uh, into these drop boxes and uh, get a free CWD test and know the results uh, from that deer that they harvest. You know, we've had you on the air talking about that, but I think that now that you said it's it's snowballing, we should probably devote a segment of the program to uh, chronic waste and disease. Travis Lau is the Communications Director for the Pennsylvania Game Commission. Travis, thank you very much for being with us today. You're quite welcome, Scott. Thank you. On Monday's program, the use of asset forfeiture. Hey, no uh, smart talk tomorrow or Friday. Have a happy holiday. Happy hat Thanksgiving. I will talk to you on Monday. Smart Talk is produced by WITF as part of our mission to deliver relevant, high-quality programming. Support comes from Capital Blue Cross, which shares WITF's commitment to being a trusted resource in our communities. Capital Blue Cross, live fearless. Smart Talk is also supported by the team of cardiologists, surgeons, nurses, physicians' assistants, and rehabilitation specialists from Pinnacle Health Cardiovascular Institute, part of UPMC Pinnacle, delivering a broad range of traditional and highly specialized procedures. 